Christ above all, above all Christ. We're continuing on with the series, and we get into Colossians chapter 2 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open them or get on your little phone or tablet or device and turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 5 this morning as we unpack and unfold God's Word here. God wants to say some things to us this morning, and I believe that um, we need to have eyes to see and ears to hear as we talk about faith, real faith, in regards to Christian leadership and how it related to the Apostle Paul and his desires for the church in Colossae and Laodicea. Laodicea. Um, I always say it wrong. Um, As we look at this scripture together, let's read um, and see verse 1, chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Precious Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's truth. I pray, Lord God, that you would illuminate your word to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our lives so that we would not be hearers of the word only, but we would be doers and we would take action based upon what your word says. Lord God, grow us, change us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ who makes it all possible. We ask, Lord God, that you would experience our love and devotion and our focus this morning as we read your word, as we apply it to our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit. And as always, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Talking about faith, if you look at the very bottom of it, your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. I was thinking about firmness of faith. How many of you guys ever went to youth camp growing up? You went to like a church camp or you went to a youth camp or something like that? Okay, a lot of us. What I find interesting about youth camp is the lack of firmness sometimes that the kids, the decisions that the kids make. They're all throw their, their sticks in the fire and stuff, and, but they go to camp and, and they're hyped up on sugar and Mountain Dew all week. And at the very end, the crescendo is the gospel. And they share the gospel after having four hours of sleep every night, drinking 
you know, jolt cola or whatever. I don't even think that's a thing anymore. But drinking all of this stuff to keep them awake and eating sugar and Mountain Dew and all of these things. And they start to make these emotional decisions for Jesus Christ. And the guys start crying and the girls start crying. And then, you know, you say, oh. And then that guy that you've been praying for comes forward and they're crying. And the guy goes, oh, I just made a decision for Christ. And he's starting to hug people. And then he sees the pretty girl and he goes, oh, I want to hug you too. I just made a decision for Christ. And there's this emotional moment. Now, I'm not saying that emotions don't play a role in our faith because they do and it's extremely important. But if our faith is only based upon emotion then we won't have the firmness of faith that the Apostle Paul is talking about and writing about here. God wants us to be firm in our faith because the act of faith is this idea that it is our faith is not something that's just emotional, but it's mental and it's physical and it's spiritual and emotional. What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's the basis of who we are. It's a holistic faith that we're to have, not just an emotional faith. And so the Apostle Paul is writing here, and he gives us, and I, and I want to ask you three questions based upon this passage of Scripture, based upon these five verses, and I'm going to give them to you at the beginning, and I want you to think about these things. The first question is, does my faith cause me to contend for the church of Jesus Christ Question one. Question two. Does my faith consist of selfless desires for the sake of other Christians? Am I selfish in my faith or am I selfless? And number three, the last question. Does my faith result in Christian discipline, Christian action, and Christian strength? Or is my faith result in something else? And so what we're going to do is we're going to unpack this passage of Scripture from the Apostle Paul and the goals that he has for the church in Colossae. And the first thing is this, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea. I just say it fast, but it's Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, the Apostle Paul had never been to the church in Colossae, but he was contending for it. He had never been to Laodicea, but he was contending for it. And so the first point is this, are we contending for the church? And let me say a little more specifically, are we contending for the local church? See, I don't believe that you can be a part of the church universal and not be a part of the church local. It's like the thumb saying, I'm a part of the body, but I'm not a part of the hand. It doesn't make any sense. No, God has called us to be a part and to contend for the church. Is she dysfunctional? Yes. Does she have problems? Yes. There's no such thing as a perfect church. If there is, please go find it, join it, and make it imperfect. Because we are all imperfect. We are imperfect people, and so therefore when we come together, we don't do perfect things, we do imperfect things. And, but we are striving and struggling in the hopes of the transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life to make us more like Jesus Christ. 
And so therefore the church of Jesus Christ is worth contending for. And the Apostle Paul says, I struggle. I have a great struggle. What's the struggle that he's talking about? Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. It was last week the Apostle Paul was writing and we were reading. And Pastor Sean shared it. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. For your sake. The Apostle Paul was suffering for the local churches. He was suffering. He was being persecuted as he was sharing the gospel to the four corners of the world. As he's planting and establishing local churches. He was contending for the church. Not just externally in the world, but he was also contending for the church internally. That the church would be pure and holy and blameless. And so when he wrote this book, when he wrote this letter to Colossae in the church of Colossians, the people there, he hadn't been there yet, but he had heard about them because he had discipled somebody, he had poured into somebody. Epaphras who was a son to Paul. And so therefore he's writing as a grandparent to this church, having not been there, giving, him, giving them a letter, and then it was to go on to Laodicea. And so the first thing is you see that he's contending for the church at Colossia, at Laodicea, and for the people. Remember, Pastor Sean shares this all the time. The church is not a building. It's not the programs that we do. The church of Jesus Christ are the people. Look to your left. And look at them and say, you are the church. Okay, that was really weak. We could totally do that again. Look to the person to your left and say, you are the church. Look to the person to your right and say, you are the church. We are the church of Jesus Christ and we are in a local body. We are the church just being part of the local church. We are the local church at Coastal Community Church. And you are worth contending for in the world. You are worth contending for in this room. You are worth it. The Lord Jesus Christ thought you were worth it. He sent his, died on the cross for our sins. And he bodily rose again from the grave. He died on the cross for our sins so that we could be made new and be transformed. And so therefore, the, first, the church of Jesus Christ, the local church of Jesus Christ, is worth contending for. And so the question that I ask again is this, does my faith in Jesus Christ, does my faith cause me to contend for the church of Jesus Christ? Don't say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. That would be like you saying, I love you, Andrew, but I hate your wife. We can't be friends because I love my wife. I want to be with my wife. I, in fact, if you ask me what I do for my free time, I have five children, so I, they take a lot of time. But if you ask me what I do for my free time, I like to hang out with my wife. I'm with my wife. Yeah, woo! <laughs> woo! She's here. Gave her the eyebrows, too. Because I love my wife, and so therefore don't say you love me and don't love my wife. Jesus says, hey, I'm one flesh. Ephesians chapter 5 says that we, Christ is one flesh with his church. 
He's one flesh with the local church. Now, is it functional? No, it's dysfunctional. It's, it has its issues, but let me share something with, with you. The elders of this church love this church, and we want to do everything according to the Word of God, and so therefore we contend for this church. We think about this church hours and hours and hours and hours a week. It's not just something that we do on Sunday. It's something that we're constantly doing and working with people. We love you. You are the church. We are the church. And it's worth contending for. The church at Lydia, see, I want to say this, Revelation chapter 3, if you want to turn there, you can. Geographically, Colossae was not on a major road or a major thoroughfare in the Roman Empire. In Asia Minor, if you go to the north, the church at Laodicea, 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 it's one of those words that you just, I guess, can't get right. And it's to the north, and they had a special relationship, but in Revelation chapter 3, it's one of the churches that Jesus addresses to through the apostle John. And he wrote these words to them. Maybe you remember, if you've been in church a long time or if you ever went to a Christian school, it's what all Christian school speakers speak on. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would you that were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's interesting that the condemnation that Jesus gives to that church, as you read Colossians, there's some things that he addresses in there that would have helped that church. He was contending for that church as well as he was contending for Colossae. Second thing that we see here from this text is that we see the goal of leadership in our ministry or in Paul's ministry. Paul laid out some goals that he had for them. There's goals that apply to us today as the church. And if you're here at Coastal and you're a leader in our church or you desire leadership in our church, these are the goals that we should have for Coastal. It's what the Apostle Paul had for the church in Colossae. If you're taking notes, write these down. Every leader ought to contend for his church. Every leader ought to have these goals for ministry. The first one is this, that that the church would be encouraged in heart. They would be encouraged in heart. How do you encourage yourself in heart? Well, you teach others and you learn to encourage each other in the Lord. First Samuel chapter 30 verse 6, David is distressed and David writes this, and David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because of because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters, but David strengthened himself in himself no, in others no. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. If we're to be encouraged in heart, we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Romans 15, 5 says this. 
says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. I'm not under the delusion that you're some people here that are hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually. And you have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning because you know what awaits the day or you're suffering. And it is our desire that you would be encouraged in the heart through the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we encourage each other? Well, we encourage each other in the Lord by being the very presence sometimes of God. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you are sometimes the only Jesus that someone would see. You are the only Jesus that they would see. So to sit next to them while they're suffering, while they're struggling, while they're hurting, is to encourage someone in heart. To to not just share a quick verse with them as you're walking by them real fast, but sitting with them and getting to know them and having them get to know you and being able to share those things. It's why we at Coastal encourage you to get involved in a small group so that you can have that connection, so that you can have that relationship, so that you can encourage each other in the Lord. If you're here at Coastal and you're not in a small group, I urge you to do this. It's one of the ways we encourage each other in the heart so that you can share the things that are going on in your life. I'm not under that delusion, but let me tell you something. It makes it a lot easier when you feel less alone as you're suffering and going through difficult times. Second thing the Apostle Paul says here, the second goal that he had for the church, the goal that we have for each other as leaders is that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Now, my grandma, she used to take two opposite things or two things, string, and she would do these little things with sticks and stuff and knit together these beautiful blankets. It's taking separate things and putting them together, uniting them together. And the Apostle Paul's goal for the church was that they would be united in love. That we would be united in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. United in love. Are we united in love? Do you love the person that's sitting next to you even though you know very little of them? Are we united in love? The Apostle Paul wanted the church to be united in love. Encouraged in heart. Number three, full in full riches of complete understanding. He wanted them to have complete understanding. There was a richness that comes when you understand I remember when my son Valor, who's a year now, was born, and 
all of a sudden, I don't know, in a couple of months, like two months, three months, right around three months, something happens in their mind. They realize that their hand is connected to their body. And so, like, they've been hitting themselves, and then all of a sudden he realizes, I don't have to do this anymore. And he's like, oh. And he's amazed with his hand. And that understanding was brought richness to his life. And the Apostle Paul is saying that when we have complete understanding of the things of God, it brings richness. When we understand what God wants us to do, when we understand the will of God for our life, then there is a richness. Look over to Colossians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He's Epaphrius, in verse 7, we'll actually back up to 7, just as you learned it from Epaphrius, our beloved fellow servant. Remember the son, he's writing as a grandfather to the church and spiritually. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul's commending them for this. And listen to verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's that word understanding again. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's a richness that comes when you understand what God has created you for and what he's created you to do. You are here because God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life that he wants you to fulfill. And it is not for you, it's for him. It's not for your glory, but for his. He gave his life so that you could have new life. And therefore, that gives us purpose and gives us hope. And when we understand it, there's a richness that comes with it. Call it the will of God. It's not some mystical thing. You want to know God's will for your life? Here it is. It's found in His Word, and the Holy Spirit of God confirms it. And the Holy Spirit confirms it as you're reading the Word of God. It, br- it, it brings new understanding. But if you're not in the Word of God, then you can't have the understanding to live the way that God has called us to live. The full riches of complete understanding. That was one of his goals for this church. Do you have understanding? The will of God is not hiding it. It's not something mystical out there that you can't know. Start here. Write this down. Micah 6.8. He has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Why don't you start there? Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. You want to know God's will for your life? Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Start there. Letter D. Number next, the next goal of leadership in our ministry and the ministry of the Apostle Paul was that the church would know the mystery of God, Jesus Christ. Do you know the mystery of God? Do you know Jesus Christ? Not know about him, but do you know him? Has Christ come into your life? Is he in there residing in you? 
When we were in Jordan, we went over to Israel. I saw the tomb. It's empty. He is not there. He is risen. I don't know about him, but I serve a living Savior, and he is in my life. I know him. I know him. Do you know him? Do you know the mystery of God, Jesus Christ? Christ is the source of all hidden treasures and of wisdom and knowledge. Christ was hidden, but now made known. You know the word mystery appears 21 times, and every time it refers to Jesus Christ? 21 times in Scripture, in the New Testament, that the mystery of God is Jesus Christ. To know the mystery of God is to know Jesus Christ. It's not some... Oh, spirituality that we can't know. Something so esoteric and out there that we have to smoke pot to understand or something. It, it's, it is Christ. Him crucified. Him coming again. Risen and coming again. Christ was the mystery. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He... Jesus Christ was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Christ was the mystery. Christ is the mystery. And people that don't want to, want, that want to be spiritual and don't want Christ will never understand the mystery. Number next, letter E. Not deceived by earthly wisdom. One of the goals that he had he, for the church was that they would not be deceived by earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom sounds good. I love what the New Living Translation defines this as. It says, fine-sounding arguments is what it says. In the ESV here, it says that you would have understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom all hidden are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Plausible arguments, fine-sounding arguments, arguments that you would go, hmm, that makes sense, but has no bearing or understanding based upon the Scripture. Listen, Christianity is logical. The arguments may sound fine, but they're not based upon what the Word of God says, and therefore they're there to lead you astray. Most lies that are believable have a shred of truth in them, or have a lot of truth in them, and a shred of deceit. In fact, Matthew 24, 24 says that Christians can and will be deceived, that even the elect could be deceived. It's possible that if you're not in the Word of God, walking with God, in your relationship with Christ, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would be deceived by false teachers. If you read the book of Jude, he talks about this, that the false teachers are there to deceive and to lead people astray. And the Apostle Paul doesn't want that. He says, don't get led astray by fine-sounding arguments. Now, Christianity to the world seems weak and foolish. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21 tells us that. To those that are perishing, the cross seems weak and foolish. For the word of the cross is 
folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. When you think about Christianity as a plausible, logical argument, it's this. If God, God wanting to save humankind, make it available for all to believe... He sends His Son to die on the cross in our place. And He makes it based upon a person and a relationship and what you do with this person. It's not based upon how many good works you do. It's not based upon how much money you have or give. It's not based upon how or what color your skin is. It's not based upon how much education you have or don't have. It's all based upon what you do with Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That makes no sense to the world. No, it should be based upon how many degrees I have, wallpaper. It should be based upon how smart I am. It doesn't last forever. It should be based upon how strong I am or, or what I do or the good works that I do. No, those are all byproducts of following Jesus. If you've ever watched the big, like a jet boat driving through the, the water, the wake that you leave behind should be the good works and the things that you do in your life for Christ. But you on that jet boat should be so focused on Jesus Christ as you're following Jesus Christ and doing what His Word says all those things will be good works that you leave behind. Stop focusing on the good works and start focusing your life and attention upon Christ. And that was what the Apostle Paul desired for his church, for us. So we as Christian leaders desire. Finally, this, that he was with them in spirit, not body. What does that mean? It means this, that he was connected to them through the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you connect with someone through the power of the Holy Spirit? You weep with those that weep. You rejoice with those that rejoice. When's the last time you sat with someone and wept with them over something that they were weeping over? When's the last time you rejoiced with someone who was rejoicing over something that they was over? The persecuted church in this world, I was talking to a Pakistani Christian about a month or a couple months ago. And I'm sitting with him, and he's a, he's a political refugee in Thailand. A Christian refugee, really. And he said, pray, pray for my brothers and sisters in Pakistan. I just got word that one of my friends who is a Christian... Because he refused to have his daughter marry a Muslim, they came to her and they threw, threw acid on her face so that she would never get married. This is happening in the world today that we live in. Do you weep with them? And he was weeping and he was saying, I don't know what to do. If I go back, then I'll be killed. If I stay here, I, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. Please pray that we would be faithful and endure for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That's what it means. What does it mean to be with them in spirit, not body? It means that we pray for them. It means we encourage them. It means we give to them. We support them. Our Christian brothers and sisters, that we would be with them in spirit. When's the last time you prayed for people that were hurting or suffering, that didn't want to get out of bed, or that you came over to them and just sat with them? That would be with them in body, but being with them in spirit is when you can't sit with them. Are you praying for them? Are they on your minds? Are they on your hearts? The Apostle Paul, though he had never visited this church, he was with them in spirit. Which leads me to the question, the second question that I ask again, does my faith consist of selfless desires for the sake of other Christians? Or am I selfish that I can't sit with people or that I can't pray for people? That I'm easily deceived, that I don't want to encourage others in the heart, that I don't want to be united in love, that I don't want people to have a complete understanding. I don't want them to know the mystery of God, Jesus Christ. Am I selfless in my desires? My faith consists of being selfless. And not for my sake, but for the sake of other Christians. Church, we must unite in love and die to ourselves. Number three, the results of goals disciplined with a firm faith in Christ. So look at verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. Then what does he say? Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He was rejoicing to see your good order. In the NLT and in some other passages of Scripture, it basically says that the result that you would have a firm faith in Christ that you would understand that you would be complete, not lacking. So the results of goals of a disciplined with a firm faith in Christ. The first one is this, that you exercise spiritual disciplines in your life. What are the results of having this firm faith that you would exercise spiritual disciplines in your life? What are spiritual disciplines? Spiritual disciplines are things like prayer and fasting and meditation upon Scripture, and silence, sitting in silence, and sitting in solitude, and turning off all the noise around you, journaling, connecting with God. We have two or three hours, and I fall into this, and, and I was talking to my son the other day, and we were coming back, and I said, man, we got three hours, what do you want to do? And he goes, let's go watch a movie. And I was like, oh, maybe. I don't know, man. It was our initial thought. It's taking those two, three hours and disciplining ourselves and saying, hey, you know what? Why don't we just spend some time praying? Why don't we just spend some time reading the Scripture? Why don't we just spend some time disciplining ourselves for the sake of godliness? Spiritual disciplines, a lot of people say, well, look at my spiritual disciplines. Look how spiritual I am. That's not why you do spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines reveal that you are godly. They don't make you godly. Does that make sense? If you do them because you think, oh, I'm going to be godly now. That's why I'm doing this. 
Yes, that's a by, that might be a byproduct, but the reality is they reveal that you are. It's the heart that God has already put in you that is working to conform you to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, and they reveal that you are spiritual because Christ has already done the work and is doing the work in your life. Philippians 1, 6, He that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So this is the idea that the spiritual disciplines are the results of God doing that in your life. So when I'm unspiritual, sharing my faith is another spiritual discipline. Dallas Willard, he was a professor at the University of Southern California in philosophy. He said this, my friends will allow me to deny Christ. They just won't let me say it with my words. Spiritual disciplines cause me to keep my attention upon Christ and those that are closest to me to encourage them to keep their attention upon Jesus Christ. What does a firm faith in Christ look like? Spiritual disciplines. Secondly, a firm faith in Jesus Christ looks unmovable. Firmness. What is the firmness? It means that you are firm and not moving. Unmovable. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this, that your labor is not in vain. Why is it not in vain? Because Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. Are you unmovable because of your faith in Jesus Christ? You should not be tossed to and fro like the wind. A double-minded man or woman is unstable in all their ways. Because of your firm faith in Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul is desiring the results would be that they would be unmovable no matter what happens, no matter the sufferings. And finally, the firmness of your faith in Christ. What is faith in Christ? two types of faith that he's talking about. It's the same coin, just different sides, heads and tails. There's the saving faith, which is God's action on the cross and our reaction to Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God so that no one can boast. The idea of saving faith is that faith that saves us. It's the faith that God gives us to believe on Him. God's action on the cross, and therefore we react and respond to what God has already done. Second faith, same coin, second side, is the sustaining faith. It's the faith that God gives us to sustain us. I I meet Christians all the time that go, you know what, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ, and now I've got my fire insurance and I can live however I want. And then tragedy comes and they're, they're basically twisted on the side of the road, messed up. And all of a sudden they go, where did God go? How come he left me? That person lied to me. No, the gospel doesn't just save us, but it sustains us. It's the faith that saves us also sustains us. It keeps us. It's that we trust in God and not in a single act. It's not a single act, but it's a condition of restfulness in Christ, of everyday actions of our life. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. Are we hearing? Are we connected to God? Does our faith connect us to God? Does it sustain us every moment of every second of every day? Or do we just wait once a week and then think about God once a week in the gospel when we come to church on Sunday? 
Or has it permeated our lives in every aspect? Sustaining faith, think about it in regards to a, a tea. You put the hot water in and then you take your tea bag and you stick it in. And are you just dipping it in? My wife is a dipper. She doesn't like her tea to get too strong. I'm a soaker. Drop that tea bag in and leave it till Jesus comes. Because I like it strong. I like it to get bitter. Are you a dipper when it comes to your relationship with Christ? Is your faith that of a dipper or is it that of a soaker? I want my tea, I want my life to permeate with God in every aspect and fiber of my life. That's sustaining faith. The faith that Christ used to save me is the very faith that holds me and sustains me until Jesus comes back and returns for me or he calls me home. The third question, does my faith result in Christian discipline? Does it result in Christian action and Christian strength? We must live what we say we believe. We all live what we believe. Everybody here lives what they believe. The question is, if, what do we really believe? Does our belief reflect on our faith, or does our faith reflect on our belief? The latter must be true. God gives us our faith, and He alone can shape our beliefs. But do we allow our beliefs to be shaped by God or do we allow our beliefs to be shaped by our desires? If your desires are shaping your faith, your faith will be anything but firm. It's my prayer, church, that we at Coastal would have a firm faith. That the Apostle Paul, as he prayed for the church, that he desired as he wrote the book of Colossians, that they would have firmness of faith, that we would have firmness of faith. Now, are we going to struggle? Yes. Are we dysfunctional? Yes. But isn't it great that we can come together and we can look to Jesus to encourage ourselves, to unite us together as we struggle through together? In Hebrews chapter 12, that we can look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, And so therefore, when we're suffering and we're hurting, we don't have to hide it. We can come clean and say, I'm struggling or I'm hurting or I don't want to get out of bed in the morning and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to go and I just need something. So at that point, then we're to encourage each other in the Lord and we're to encourage each other with the faith that Christ has given to us. If you've never received Jesus Christ, you know about Christ, but you've never received Christ, it's my desire that you pray and invite Jesus Christ into your life. That you would say, Jesus, please forgive me for my sins and all the things that I've done wrong and my selfishness and me trying to do it on my own. And right now, I ask that you would come into my life and that you would reside there and you would stay there. Christian, if you're a dipper and you want Christ for this moment, but not that moment, but then this moment, but then not that moment. It's my prayer that you would repent and you would ask Jesus Christ to come and reside in your life to be strong. 
And unlike tea, it doesn't make you bitter, it makes you joyful. Joyful in the midst of suffering, joyful in the midst of hardship. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As the worship team comes, how's your faith? This passage of Scripture was kind of the dipstick to your soul, and you put the dipstick in, and you're just measuring, where's the level of faith? Have you been a hearer of the Word, or are we going to actually do something about what we've just heard? By spending time in the Word of God, by spending time in prayer, by spending time surrendered to Jesus, I want to pray. Precious Father, I thank you for the men and women here and the children that are here. I pray, Lord God, that we would not be people that struggle in their faith, but that we would be firm. It's okay to struggle, Lord, I know. It's okay to ask questions because you're not insecure and you're not afraid of our questions, Lord God. But I pray, Lord God, that there'll be a certain point in our life, Lord God, where that struggling and that uncertainty, Father, would create a foundation of firmness in our life. Knowing, Lord God, that everything may change, everything may, 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 may come against us, everything may cause us to suffer, and the winds may come, Lord God, in this life, Lord God, but you are the strength and our portion forever. I pray those that don't know you, Lord Jesus, I pray that they would come and invite you into their life. And say, Jesus, come into my life and save me. And I pray for those that need prayer, that they would go to the prayer chapel. For those that have prayed to receive Christ, I pray, Lord God, that they would go to the prayer chapel and they would say, hey, I prayed that prayer. And that you would begin the process of growing them to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, so that they can enjoy eternity with you. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.